So for the last few weeks, we've been talking about prayer. I've been teaching about prayer. We've talked about how prayer is not us arm wrestling God into giving us what we want, but rather prayer is us saying, God, what do you want? And then asking for his will to be done on earth. So I've been teaching you about prayer. Last week, Nick came in and taught you about prayer. But wouldn't it be fun if tonight I said, hey, it's not going to be me, it's not going to be Nick, it's not going to be someone else, but it's actually going to be Jesus tonight to teach you about prayer. You'd probably be pretty excited about that, right? You'd be like, yes, Jesus is teaching us. And you're probably thinking, if Jesus was teaching tonight, there'd be more people that showed up, Alex. Um, that might be true. I don't know. Sometimes it said Jesus taught such hard things. People were like, I can't even listen to this and just walked away. But tonight, we're going to look at this passage where the disciples, the followers of Jesus, the people who were trying to follow Jesus in the way that he was teaching, they came to him and said, will you teach us how to pray? And he said, sure. And then we have this passage about what he actually taught them. And it's found in Luke chapter 11, verses 1 through 4. Now, Luke wasn't there, but Luke was someone who came after Jesus was risen from the dead, and he heard the message of Jesus, became a follower of Jesus, and he began to interview people and research things that had happened, and he wrote two accounts. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, and the book of Luke was all the information he got about the, the, um, the story of Jesus' life, and then the book of Acts was everything that he learned about the start of the church, and there's a certain point in Acts where he starts to talk about he was actually there, so there's a portion of Acts where he's writing about um, people that he had interviewed, and then there's a portion where he comes into the story and he starts writing. And so Luke gives us this account of this story that he probably heard from the apostles, the disciples who were here with Jesus. And it says in Luke chapter 11, starting in verse 1, he was praying in a certain place. Now this is Jesus that was praying. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, will you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray? And Jesus said to him, Whenever you pray, you should pray like this. Father, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone in debt to us. And do not bring us into temptation. You recognize this as what we commonly call the Lord's Prayer. You also find a version of this in Matthew chapter 6. Where Matthew, who was actually here, also includes this passage. Now, we're going to break this apart a little bit and see what we can learn, what Jesus was teaching us about prayer here. But I want to back up a little bit and talk about what it's not saying. Um, when I was in Bible college, I remember I had a professor, and he said, this is how you should pray, Acts. And I was like, what does that mean, Acts? And he's like, you should have adoration, you should have confession, you should have thanksgiving, you should have supplication. And I'm like... What? Nobody uses those words. How many of you go to your parents and you're like, I would like to supplicate for a higher allowance. Like, no one says that, right? But it's such these, these theological words he's saying. But essentially what he said, here's how you should pray. You should adore God. You should praise him. You should talk about how great he is. Then you should confess what you've, uh, where you haven't aligned with God and you have destructive things in your life. And then you should have a time of thanksgiving and thank him for what you have. And then you should make requests of him. And he gave us this little pattern, and he said, this is how you should pray your prayer. And for a while, I tried to do that, and I don't think those are bad things. Uh, but what's interesting here is what Jesus gives us is not a formula. I think sometimes we're looking for a formula. But how many of you, when you talk to your loved one or someone you're dating or a family member, you're like, okay, start out with casual human greeting, then go to asking about their day, 
then make a request for something I want. You don't do that. If you did, that'd be super weird, you know? Um, Darby and I started watching this show on Netflix called Atypical about a uh, young man who has Asperger's and um, he doesn't know how to have social interaction with people. And so he like writes down things like that, like common greeting, you know, say something about the weather and because he doesn't know how to interact with people. Somehow that's, sometimes that's how we think about God. Like we got to make this formula and then I'll fit my conversation in there. God is a person. We can talk to him like a person. You don't have to have this format. Now, I think it's good to praise him. I think it's good to confess. I think it's good to be thankful. And it's good to ask for things. But we don't have to write out this formula and make sure we've checked all our little boxes. Just start talking to God. And what we have here, what Jesus starts teaching us, is not a formula, but he gives us a series of facts about prayer. In fact, over the last couple of weeks, we've been teaching from Matthew chapter 6. I don't know if you've noticed this, but over and over again, as I've hit upon things about how to pray and what we should be praying about, we've been in Matthew chapter 6. Everything we've covered have been things that follow the Lord's Prayer in Matthew chapter 6. So essentially, Jesus says, hey, here's some things you need to know about prayer, and he lays them out, and then he explains them further, and we've been looking at those things. So now we're going back to look at his overview about prayer, this series of facts that he says, if you get this, if you understand this, you'll pray correctly. And one of the first things I want us to look at is, if you look back here at verse 1, the Lord's Prayer is not actually a prayer. We call it the Lord's Prayer, right? But if you look back in verse 1, it says he stopped praying, and when he stopped, they were all like, you got to teach us to pray, because you know what you're doing. Have you ever been around somebody and they were doing something, and you were like, man, they know what they're doing, and as soon as they get done, you're like, you've got to teach me how to do that. That's exactly what happened here. And Jesus was a rabbi, he was a traveling teacher, and they were used to traveling teachers saying, here's how you should pray. In fact, they said, John the baptizer here, he was the one who taught his disciples how to pray. And they said, if he taught them how to pray, we want you to teach us to pray as well. And so he doesn't actually start praying. He says, here's what you should know when you're praying, or here's what you should consider when you pray, or here's the type of things you should say as you pray. But he's not actually praying this. You say, Alex, how do you know that? Well, for one, he never has to ask forgiveness for sins because he didn't sin, right? He's telling us things about prayer. He's not actually praying. The Lord's Prayer is not actually a prayer. Man, that's like, it might blow your mind. It might not. But it seems weird, dude, that we call it that. In fact, the last message in this series at the end of November, we're going to actually look at a prayer that Jesus prayed before he died. And he prays this beautiful prayer for his followers and he, even for the followers yet to come. And we'll look at the actual prayer that Jesus prayed. But if you look here in verse 2, we'll just start pulling out some of this information that Jesus taught us about prayer and how it should affect the way that we pray. And you see in verse 2, he starts out with Father. If you look in Matthew chapter 6 at the other version of this, it says, Our Father. But he starts out here with this relationship that God is Father. The Jews were used to calling God Creator, or Master, or Lord. But he says, no, God should be approached like a loving, kind, generous Father. And different relationships require different types of conversation, right? So you don't talk to a bill collector the same way that you talk to your spouse. Or at least I hope you don't. You don't talk to your mom the same way that you talk to a, um, a boss at work. At least I hope you don't. Different relationships require different communication. Um, so in Tennessee, 
I got my cell phone switched over to a different number, and I started getting all these calls. Now, I'm the, one of those weird people who, when I get a number that I don't recognize, I still pick it up. Because I'm always thinking, well, it might be somebody from the church, it might be somebody who needs something, you know, got my information. And so I picked up this call, and it was this grouchy, haggard voice that goes, hey, is this Stacy? And I said, no, this is Alex. I said, I think you have the wrong number. They go, put Stacy on the line right now. And I go, Stacy isn't here. This isn't Stacy. I know you're covering for Stacy. Just put Stacy on the line. And I'm like, I don't know a Stacy. Stacy's not here. You know, I'm trying to explain to this lady. She goes, she starts using some colorful language. And she says, put Stacy on the line right now. And I'm like, I'm sorry, no. So I hang up, go about my day. Within a couple days, I get a phone call. Don't recognize it, pick it up. And it goes, hey, Stacy. And I go, this is not Stacy's number. We go through the whole thing again. And so after a while, she starts calling so much. I put it in my phone. I, I add her contact as crazy old woman. And um, so when it comes up, crazy old woman, I answered that phone call very differently than when it would come up with someone like Darby or my sister or my brother calling. Uh, different relationships require different ways of talking. If you're talking to a crazy old woman who insists that you're a liar, you're going to talk differently than if it's somebody you love. And what Jesus is saying is when you talk to God, talk to him like you would the most loving, kind, generous, compassionate father. Talk to him like you would. Now, you may not have had a good father like that. You may have had a bad father, but he says, think about what a good father is like, and that's how you should talk to God. And then next, he says, your name be honored as holy. Your name be praised and set apart and lifted high. Do you realize that every molecule in existence was created to glorify God? Everything that exists down to the smaller, smallest microscopic level was created to glorify God. And so when we praise God, when we glorify God, we're doing exactly what we were created to do. When we honor his name, when we praise his name. I think that what we need to do here in our prayers is be specific about where we want God to be lifted up and where we've had opportunity to praise and lift up his name. We exist to glorify him and to praise him. And you'll notice next, he says, your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. So what is the kingdom that Jesus is talking about? We know ultimately Jesus will come and he'll rule a physical kingdom. The Jews were waiting for Jesus to overthrow the Roman Empire and rule a physical kingdom. But what Jesus begins to describe again and again is when God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. In fact, that phrase is included in the Matthew 6 version of the Lord's Prayer. It says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so when Jesus says we should pray for the kingdom, we should ask for what God would want done on earth. Remember our first lesson on prayer, that we should pray for what Jesus would want. The kingdom grows when more hearts and minds and lives come under the rule and reign of Jesus Christ. When we start to doing what he wants rather than what we want, we're part of the kingdom. We've put Jesus on the throne of our life. We've dethroned ourselves and we've placed him there. And so when we pray for his kingdom to come, what he's asking us to do is say, I'm going to pray and ask for the things that God would want in my life, that God would want in my situation, that God would want in my neighborhood, in my church, in my family, not what I would want. I'm taking my desires off the throne and I'm putting God's desires on the throne of my life. 
And then he goes on and he says, give us each day our daily bread. This is one that I really dislike because I don't like asking for daily bread. I like asking for weekly bread or monthly bread. See, I like asking for things so that I don't have to ask again tomorrow. I like having enough stored up that I feel safe and I don't have to come back to God every single day. The reference seems to also imply when the nation of Israel wandered in the wilderness and it says God provided them with supernatural bread each day to eat while they wandered in the wilderness. The Old Testament calls it manna. And Jesus seems to be referencing that. In fact, if they gathered more than enough for one day, it would rot and go bad. It would only last for one day. And God taught them in the wilderness, you have to rely on me each day. See, many times we ask for things so that we'll have an abundance so that we don't have to come back to God and ask again for a while. But what God wants to train us to do is to recognize that we need him every day. That we don't just need him once a week on Sunday, or we don't need him just once a month when we have a really bad day or something crazy happens, that we daily need him. And it says that God has promised to give us our needs, not our greeds. God has promised to give us our needs, not our greed. So often, I feel like our requests are about what we want, but we don't actually need. One of the best, I think, examples between needs and greeds is a Darby Christmas versus an Alex Christmas. So Darby growing up, her family, I remember the first time I celebrated Christmas with them, I'm like, what is this? Like, the first gift, open up, socks. And Darby's like, oh, yes, socks. And then they open up the next gift, an electric blanket. I'm like, this is the worst Christmas I have ever seen in my life. Then someone else opens up, it's like fruit. I'm like, what? This is the garbage Christmas. A Hanovich Christmas looks like a dragon just piling up gold in a hoard, you know, and like being like, I've got this great mound of gifts. And we would get the most ridiculous, most unnecessary, most obnoxious things, and uh, that's what Christmas looks like for me. A Hanovich Christmas was defined by greed, whereas a, a Darby Brown, Brown is her maiden name, Christmas was defined by needs. And many times our prayer requests look more like a Hanovich Christmas than a Brown Christmas. It's about all the things that we want, not necessarily things that we need. And I think there are things that we need to go to God each day and pray and ask for Uh, Nick talked about how we shouldn't repeat prayers. We shouldn't say the same thing over and over again just to hear ourselves talk. But there are some things that we need each day, so we have to go back to God and ask for each day. I remember there was an older pastor who I really respected. He was kind of like, if you imagine Yoda as a pastor. And I was like, this guy's wise, and I want to be like him. I want to be like his his Jedi Padawan, and I want him to train me. And so, so I went to him, and I said, Teach me, how do I be like you? When I get to your age, I want to have even a a sliver of the wisdom that you have. And he says, it starts like this, pray this each day. He says, this is what I pray each day, and I prayed each day for 40 plus years. And um, the, the prayer he told me that he prays is, Lord, if there's anything destructive in me, make it so sickening to me, make it so disgusting to me, that I don't want to do it. If there's any way in my heart, anything in my head, anything in the way that I talk or do, just make it so unpleasant to me that I no longer desire it. And then he says, if there's anything good in what I do or say or think today, may it be you in me, Jesus. 
And he says, I've prayed these things for 40 plus years. And he says, that's what you're seeing in me is the result of God answering this prayer. And so I challenge you, have some things that you pray each day because you recognize you need each day. I need to pray those things each day because each day my, my, um, the desires of my heart are to go back to destructive things rather than to pursue constructive things. They're to take praise and honor for the good things I do rather than give praise and honor to God. And so we need to come and ask God for our daily needs. And then he goes on here in verse 4 and says, And forgive us our sins, for we ourselves also forgive everyone in debt to us. Well, he's being a little um, presumptuous here, isn't he? He says, forgive us because we've forgiven everyone who has offended us, everyone who has done something to us. But many times we go to God and ask for forgiveness when we haven't forgiven the people who are all around us. We haven't forgiven the people in our own lives. But when we refuse to forgive others, Many times, that's the very moment that we begin to doubt whether or not we've actually been forgiven. Over and over again, as I've talked to people who really struggle with the idea that Jesus has forgiven them, that he's taken the worst parts of them and forgotten it and thrown it away and doesn't hold it against them anymore, they struggle with that. What I usually find is they're also the people who are most or least forgiving of others. And when we refuse to forgive others, what we begin to struggle with is whether or not God can forgive us. Because we think of the person who has wronged us and we think, I'd never forgive them, so how could God ever forgive me? See, when we forgive others, it begins us to free us so we can fully realize and experience the forgiveness that Jesus has given us. And so he says we should not only take to God what we've sinned, but also take to God the forgiveness that we're going to show to those around us. And then finally, he says, and do not bring us into temptation. Now, um, we can actively pursue destructive things, or we can actively avoid destructive things. I don't think there's a middle ground here. You're either actively pursuing something that's going to bring destruction into your life, that's going to bring pain and chaos, or you're actively trying to avoid destructive things. And I think many times we, we want to walk a middle ground and be safely in between, but I feel like if you're pursuing destructive things, it's going to show up pretty quickly. And if you're resisting destructive things, then you won't be falling into them very often. But this word here that's translated temptation actually comes from a Greek word in the original language here. Luke wrote this in Greek. And that original word actually means trial or testing. And you say, well, why is it translated temptation here, Alex, if it means trial or testing? Well, just like in the English language, we have words like mole. If you said that you have a mole problem, I'd be like, are we talking about in your yard or on your face? You know, like, which are you talking? And you recognize how it's being used by its context. This Greek word is like that. If it's used in certain contexts, we know that it's talking about being tempted. If it's used in another context, we recognize it's being talked about as testing. And so because of the ambiguity of this context, we're not sure if it's talking about don't bring us into temptation or don't bring us into testing or trials. But either way, we know that we should pray that God doesn't... Um, that keeps us from things that are destructive and also we should pray that he helps us to avoid trials and hard things and difficult things that may be a challenge for us 
And so as we come to the end of Jesus' model prayer here, or the Lord's Prayer, as it's called, I think there's a couple easy challenges for us to pull out and take into our everyday life. Uh, first of all, I would encourage you, like my mentor said to me, to pray daily that the destructive things in our lives, whether we recognize them or not, pray that those destructive things become disgusting to us, become unpleasant to us, become sickening to us, so that we abandon them. And pray that if there be any good in you, that it be Christ in you, working through you and what you say and do and think. And then what I think would be a great challenge, and Nick encouraged you to do this last week, is to take the Lord's Prayer and instead of just praying it um, verbatim, instead begin to put your own specifics in here and say, Father, and begin to talk about how he has loved you and how he has treated you like a beloved child, and then talk about why you honor his name and how you honor his name, and then begin to pray for the things that you think he would want in your life and in your family and in your community. Begin to ask for your daily needs. Begin to confess your sins and begin to forgive those who have sinned against you, and then ask that he help you through trials and to avoid temptation. Begin to paraphrase the Lord's Prayer, entering in your own specifics. And I thought that it would be fitting to just end this time by reading a paraphrase of the Lord's Prayer uh, together. This is a paraphrase by Dallas Willard. And it says, Dear Father, always near us, may your name be treasured and loved. May your role be completed in us. May your will be done here on earth in just the way it is done in heaven. Give us today the things we need today, and forgive us our sins and impositions on you, as we are forgiving all who in any way offend us. Please don't put us through trials, but deliver us from everything bad, because you are the one in charge, and you have all the power, and the glory too is all yours forever, which is just the way we want it. As we close here, I'm gonna ask that we just pray for a minute and think about these words Think about these facts about prayer that Jesus taught us. Think about this paraphrase. And I want you to just begin to pray some of these things to God on your own. And I'll give us a few minutes and then I'll close us out in prayer. So grateful that we can call you Father. We could call you Creator or Master or God or Lord, but you're our spiritual dad. Everything has its starting point in you. And I'm thankful that we can know you and that you love us. I'm so grateful for the kind gifts that you've shown me, the little ways that you say I love you throughout the day the way that you've answered prayer and shown such grace and kindness into my life. Again and again, you've not given me what I've deserved, but you've given me good even when I've done evil. Lord, I pray that your name is high and lifted up and glorified through my life, through what I say, the way that I treat people, and the way that I live, what I do with my hands, what I think in my heart. I want the name of Alex to get small, and I want the name of God and Jesus to get big. Use me to lift high your name.
Lord, I pray that your will will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. That I will do what you want and not what I want. That I will pour out my life for your purposes rather than trying desperately to get you to bless my purposes. God, I'm going to get off the throne of my life and I invite you to sit there instead. And you to set. You set the standard for how you want things to be in my life. Show me what you want me to do and where you want me to go and what you want me to say. And God, I have needs. In this world, I, I have things that I need. We have things that we need. And we know that you are a generous father and you're happy to meet our needs. But Lord, I pray that you do not give us such abundance that we forget you. That you do not give us so much that we forget that you're the source of all the good that we have. Lord, I pray that you'll forgive us because so often we say and do and think destructive things rather than constructive things. Rather than building your kingdom and making your will be done, Lord, we, we by force try to make our will done in the world and we hurt people and we hurt ourselves and we hurt your world. And God, I pray that you'll forgive us and give us a heart of forgiveness. May we be so overcome with the kindness that you've shown us that we forgive others easily, readily, and quickly. And God, protect us from temptation. Protect us from the things that would lead us down destructive paths, that would lead us far away from the good path that you have for us. And God, I pray that you will make us faithful even through hard times. And God, if we can go around a valley or a hardship or a dark place, Lord, take us around. But if we have to go through, God, I pray that you'll go with us and you'll guide us by your light and that we'll experience you in new in majestic ways. And God, I pray that as we go out this week, that we will build your kingdom, that we will live as people underneath your rule and reign, and we'll invite more people to enter into your kingdom, that your will might be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And I pray all these things in the name of the God of heaven and earth, and Jesus Christ, his son, and the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live in love like him. Amen. Amen. You are dismissed. <laughs>